Welcome to the Southbridge Church Podcast, where our mission is leading people to find and follow Jesus. We're thrilled that you are here, and it's our hope that this message will lead you to find and follow Jesus. Do me a favor this morning, you can find maybe two or three people this morning. Just greet them, say hello, maybe ask for their name, give them a fist bump, a high five. Just greet somebody near you and welcome them this morning for me. Grateful that you are here. Say hello, give somebody a big smile. Let them know they look amazing. You're happy to see them. And thank you so much for standing. God bless you. You can be seated. You made it. It's week number two. Many of you are going strong. You're two weeks in a row to the new year. This is exciting. There we go. I'm sure you're just as consistent with the gym and the diet and the financial planning and all the big goals. Hopefully you didn't just give up on your goals. Hopefully you're still going strong, all right? But we are excited you're here. Take your Bible if you have it. 1 Samuel chapter number 23. 1 Samuel chapter number 23. You know, people often ask, how is it that you can keep delivering decade after decade? And that's a great question. How can we keep delivering decade after decade? The Bible says that a faithful man who can find. And today we're looking for that. Now the word man is not gender specific. It's talking about, is there a a faithful man or woman who will just be faithful, consistent in a world of all kinds of inconsistencies. And so the best way to kind of illustrate how we get there is I need to take you back a little story. It was August of 2020. We were kind of stuck in the middle of COVID. Many of us had watched all the Netflix we could possibly watch, and we were so strung out on Tiger King, we just didn't want to see any, any more of it. There's just nothing to do, nowhere to go, especially if you were here in the Bay Area. And my wife and I were experiencing cabin fever. We were just like, we, we got to get out of the house. You know, our kids couldn't be in school, and we were just like home with them all the time. We were with each other all the time, and we were just like, we need to get out. And then we started looking, where, where can you go in August 2020? And she said, Utah's open. And I said, Utah sounds beautiful in the winter, but not in August. And I looked up the temperature and I showed it to her. It says 114. I said, there's a reason it's open, okay? Even the devil doesn't want to be there, okay? All right, Uh, I don't want to be, there's 114. She says, do you want to go somewhere or not? And I said, yeah, let's go. And then she said, let's go to Zion National Park. And I was like, I thought we were going to lounge by the pool and just relax. But Jane doesn't know how to relax. She's got to climb a mountain. She's got to conquer something. Got to go do something. Got to do a 17-mile hike before 4 a.m. And it's just, just crazy, all right? And I just like being with her, so I end up doing crazy stuff too. Don't think that I'm adventurous. I'm not. I like to just kind of just stay home and do nothing, but I like being with her. And so she's like, well, let's go to Zion National Park and we'll hike. And I said, this is just getting worse and worse. And I held my phone. I said, 114, you want to hike? And, and here's the worst part. We don't train for these things. We just do it. Okay, we're just going to get a little camelback and we're just going to go off a little hike. And then on this, this wonderful hike that I was having such a great attitude uh, on this long, adventurous hike, 
Jane had this epiphany. She makes this statement. I don't know if she read it. I don't know if she got it out of a fortune cookie. I have no idea. But when she said it, it was so profound because we're hiking through the narrows and it's just hot and I'm grumpy. And she said this. She said, if you want to travel fast, travel light. But if you want to travel far, travel with a friend. Now, I I just had to stop and I was like, writing that down whole trip is worth it. 114 degrees, hiking in the middle of the desert, COVID, all of it worth it. You know, that, that little tidbit, okay? I was like, that is so profound. Whether she read in a book, whether she heard Oprah say it, whether she got it out of the fortune cookie, I don't care. But the truth is still the same. It's very easy for you and I to say, I need to conquer something. I need to get something done. And so I got I to gotta do it on my own. But if you want to deliver decade after decade, you're going to need a friend. And with your Bibles open to 1 Samuel, my hope this morning is I'm going to try to connect you to a concept that friends are actually fuel. That's my goal this morning. I want to connect you to this concept that your friendships are the fuel that you need in life. Now, your Bibles are open to 1 Samuel. I would ask you to stand, but I'm going to read a lot of scripture. So I'm going to let you just kind of rest for a moment, but stay engaged with me. Let's open up 1 Samuel 21, verse number one. The Bible says, then they told David saying, look, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah and they are robbing the threshing floor. Therefore, David inquired of the Lord saying, shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, go and attack the Philistines and save Keilah. But David's men said to him, how much more then if we go to Keilah against the armies of the Philistines? And David inquired of the Lord once again. And the Lord answered and said, arise, go to Keilah, for I will deliver the Philistines into your hand. Then David and his men went to Keilah and fought with the Philistines and struck them with a mighty blow and took away their livestock. So David saved the inhabitants of Keilah. Now it happened when Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech, fled to David at Keilah, that he went down with an ephod in his hand. And Saul was told that David had gone to Keilah. So Saul said, God has delivered him into my hand, for he has shut himself in by entering a town, and that has gates and bars. Then Saul called all the people together for war to go down to Keilah to besiege David and his men. When David knew that Saul plotted evil against him, he said to Abiathar the priest, bring the ephod here. Then David said, O Lord God of Israel, your servant has certainly heard that Saul seeks to come to Keilah to destroy the city for my sake. Will the men of Keilah deliver me into his hand? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? O Lord God of Israel, I pray, tell your servant. And the Lord said, He will come down. Then David said, will the men of Keilah deliver me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, they will deliver you. So David and his men, about 600, arose and departed from Keilah and went wherever they could go. Then it was told Saul that David had escaped from Keilah. So he halted the expedition. And David stayed in strongholds in the wilderness and remained in the mountains in the wilderness of Ziph. Saul sought him every day. But God did not deliver him into his hand. So David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. And David was in the wilderness of Ziph in a forest. Then Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David in the woods and strengthened his hand 
in God. And he said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king, even over Israel. I shall be next to you. Even my father Saul knows that. So the two of them made a covenant before the Lord, and David stayed in the woods, and Jonathan went to his house. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, would you bless the reading of your word? Father, I'm so overwhelmed with this thought this morning that while we're in the wilderness, in our isolation, you want to do something. That there are people that are alone, they're isolated, and Father, they're easy prey for the wicked one. And I pray this morning that they would find the fuel they need in the friends around them. I pray that we would see a strong church. I pray that your word would do a great work in our hearts and lives. Holy Spirit, go up and down these rows and minister to hearts. We rebuke the devil and we rebuke any false thought and anything he's trying to implant in our minds this morning. And may we focus on you and on your word. In Jesus' name I pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. David has just gone through a major ordeal, and we read about it. Verse number one, he hears about a small town that's being attacked, and the Philistines are coming. You remember the Philistines. Uh, Goliath was a Philistine, and they would raid the Israelite towns and take everything. It got so bad that there was only two swords left in all of Israel because the Philistines wanted them defenseless. So only King Saul and Jonathan had a sword because the Philistines would just plunder. And so Israel's easy prey to the Philistines. Well, David is kind of this wandering nomad who is trying to uh, survive, even though he's got a calling on his life and an anointing to be the next king, but he's running for his life. He hears about this town and he decides to rescue this town from the Philistines. So you would think that this town would now be indebted to David because he just saved them. But then Saul hears that David's in this town. And so David now is thinking, all right, are these people going to give me up after what I did for them? And God says, David, they will. You need to leave that town. So David has just gone through a major betrayal. He's gone through something where the old adage, no good deed goes unpunished. So David has just helped, and maybe you just helped somebody, and that person you helped, you loved, you served, you ministered to, turned around and stabbed you in the back. Maybe that's how you feel. And then, to make matters worse, David is once again running for his life in the wilderness. I traveled the Holy Land in 2010, and I know exactly where David was hiding. And they showed the area. There's nothing there. It's barren. It's desert. It's wasteland. There's caves. It's not this nice little woods that you want to take an Instagram photo, and you got your nice boots, your Patagonia on, and you got your Stanley mug, and you're out there, and then you're standing on a rock majestic, and somebody off in the distance takes your picture, and you throw it on Insta, and you get 357 likes. No, this is not the scene. This is a desperate, dire scene. David is running for his life, and now he's in this wilderness. And maybe that's how you feel this morning. You feel like this wilderness is overwhelming you. You feel alone. You feel isolated. You feel betrayed. You don't know if you have the ability to make it through in this desperate situation. And here David is wondering, is the wilderness going to win? And maybe that's what you're thinking this morning. Is the wilderness going to win? Is it over? Is that it? I, I, I went through all of that and that's it. I, I, 15 years in, in a relationship, that's it. 
25 years for the company and I don't even get to finish strong? I, I sacrificed 18 years, I raised the kid and that's, what, that's how he's gonna treat me? I, I gave everything to that ministry and that's what they're gonna do to me? God, do you, do you not see? Look what I've been, I've, I've been so faithful and now I gotta deal with this? Are you kidding me? We've all been there or will be there in the wilderness. And the thought will plague our mind. Is this wilderness going to win? Is this the one that takes me out? You've had those dark thoughts. Is this it? Is this how I end? And this morning, I want to bring you some encouragement because I find this, that the greatest moment, the greatest revelation often comes in our isolation. And so this morning, if you find yourself alone, you find yourself isolated, I believe that there's a great revelation that's going to come into that isolation. And I'm hoping this message does it because turn your attention to verse number 14. Because while David's in the wilderness, something spectacular happens. Something amazing, something that as you and I read the Old Testament, it just kind of goes by our minds. It's just kind of like, oh, it's just an afterthought. Because that's what happened to me. I was just, just reading the passage and then I, I missed verse Verse 14. Because the Bible says that David's in a stronghold in the wilderness. This means he's just hiding out there in the wild. And he remained in the mountains in the wilderness of Ziph. Saul's seeking him every day. His life, he's being hunted and haunted by this king who wants to destroy him. But here's what the Bible says. Verse 15. So David saw that Saul had come to seek his life. And David was in the wilderness of Ziph in a forest. Then Jonathan. Oh, wow. Those two words. When I saw it, it hit me like bolt of lightning. Then Jonathan. That, th- this, is, this is a turning point. Everything's bad. Everything's horrible. But then Jonathan. And it's a total pivot change. It is an amazing moment. And you got to see the shift is about to happen. Something great is about to happen. He is hunted. He is haunted. He's wondering if the wilderness is going to win. And then Jonathan. God is so good. Watch what happens. The Bible says, then Jonathan... Saul's son, the same Saul who's trying to kill David, his own son, went to David in the woods, didn't say, let's meet up at Panera Bread, Starbucks, or Steakhouse. He meets him in the wilderness. And notice what he does. And he strengthened his hand in God. And that's what I want our life groups to do. I want you to get into a group. That when you are at that moment, you feel like this wilderness is about to take me out. That addiction is going to pull me right back. This thing is about to bust. I'm about to go crazy. I'm about to lose it. I'm about to ruin my testimony. I'm about to walk away from all of it. That then Jonathan steps in. Then a life group leader. Then a life group co-member that's there steps in. I want somebody to step into your life in that moment and strengthen your hand in God. Because that's what you need. And my biggest fear is that Christians, the reason we stumble and we fall is because we don't have anybody when we're in the wilderness who will be with us. And I'll say it like this. Some of you are thinking, well, I have Jesus. And I'm telling you, David had Jesus as well. But he needed a Jonathan. You still need somebody else with you. And in that moment... When you feel that strength, all of a sudden you're like, this wilderness is not going to win. Okay, that's what I needed. 
And in this passage, what's amazing is nothing really changes. Let's keep reading. The Bible says this. Then Jonathan, Saul's son, arose, went to David in the woods, and strengthened his hand in God. But here's what happens in verse 17. He says, do not fear for the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. It shall not be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. He reminds him, here's your future, David. You need somebody that can speak into your life and call you out of the wilderness and say, here's what your future is going to be like. I know that you feel alone. I know you feel discouraged, but I'm going to tell you, and I'm going to point you to that future. And here's the amazing thing. Saul, the one trying to hunt David, wants Jonathan to be king, but Jonathan wants David to be king. That's a good friend. That's a great friend. Somebody who's just as qualified as you to get that promotion, but they want you to have it. Somebody that you see deserves the promotion, deserves the accolades, deserves it, but they love you so much they would rather you have it. That's an amazing friend. And when you find a friend like that, you don't let them go. Because it's rare to find a friend who's excited about your promotion. It's amazing. Here's Jonathan speaking. He's saying, David, you're going to make it. And then verse 17. I'm sorry, verse 18. So the two of them made a covenant before the Lord, and David stayed in the woods, and Jonathan went to his own house. You see, friendship is a fuel, and it's the most powerful fuel. You and I, we have limits to getting to the next level that God has for you. Your life is not meant to stay here. Whether you are 6 or 66 or 106, God wants you to continue to grow and know him. And life is difficult. Life is challenging. And you need people that will speak into your life. In those moments when you're about to throw in the towel, who pick up the towel and say, hold on, let me help you with the cuts and the bruises. And let me just be here with you in that moment. That's what you need. You need a Jonathan that'll step in in that moment. You see, I love it because while David was in the wilderness, Jonathan showed up. While he was in the middle of it. And here's the part that it's, It's not written, but you can see it. Jonathan didn't ask David for permission to help him. He didn't say, hey, I heard you're going through something. If you need anything, call me. Don't do that. Don't tell somebody, hey, if you need anything, I'm here. You, by asking permission to help, are just trying to give yourself permission to not help. Because somebody who's going through something does not care if you show up, even if it's a casserole, they don't care, all right? They may never eat that casserole, but they're just glad your presence is there. So don't, when you hear about a coworker who just lost a loved one, don't just be like, hey, I'm here if you need anything. How about you show up and be there and say, I don't know what to say. I don't know what you're going through. I'm just here in your wilderness. I'm just here right now. Jonathan didn't wait and didn't ask for permission. Let's not be a church that has to ask for permission to do good. Let's just be a church that says, no, no, we could do something here. We could change this. I could step in and fix that. And some of you are thinking, well, I don't have enough money. I don't have enough time. Here's the one thing that you and I can have, our presence. Where we say, you know what, I'm just going to be here. In 2011, I got a call late at night that one of my groomsmen, his father, had suddenly passed away, unexpected. He was very young. And they just came across, and it was just one of those texts where it just said, pray. And I looked over at Jane, and I said, hon, are you okay? I need to go drive and see him. And I don't know what that's going to entail. I don't know how much time I'm going to need. I don't know if I'm going to be driving him back to Arizona. I don't know. I just, I just know that I couldn't imagine if I had heard about those circumstances, so I got to go. 
And she was like, yeah, you, you got to go. I showed up and I found out all the details of everything that he was going through. And it was much worse than what we had imagined. And he was devastated. His mother was devastated. His sisters were devastated. And all of a sudden, when I locked eyes with him and he locked eyes with me, I didn't need to say anything. I didn't need to do anything. I just needed to be present. And in that presence, he just gave me a hug and he just broke down. And he said, this is all I needed right now. I just needed somebody to show up in my wilderness because otherwise this wilderness would have won. And you can do that for somebody in this ministry. You can do that for somebody in your neighborhood, for somebody in your job. You can do that for somebody. You could just say, I don't have the answers and I don't know everything in this Bible, but here's the deal. I care about you and I'm just here. And, and, and if you want to talk, we'll talk. If you don't want to talk, I'll just sit here. But I've found that just presence can be the most comforting, helpful thing. And so it's while somebody's in the wilderness that we need to say, I'm, I'm just going to be there. I'm just going to show up. But I started asking myself a question. Edward, I was like, well, where did Jonathan learn that? Like, that's amazing that Jonathan, is he just super emotionally intelligent? Like, where did Jonathan learn that skill? Because you got to think, Jonathan's putting his life in danger, is he not? Because Saul has tried to kill David. So what do you think Saul's going to do if he finds out his own son's undermining him? I mean, this guy is taking his life in his hands, isn't he? So where did he learn that? The Bible's so good. You got to get in the Bible. It's a pretty fun book. I had to go back a couple chapters. Matter of fact, let's go back to 1 Samuel chapter number 14 because it's just cool what the Bible says. Where did Jonathan learn this? You see, Jonathan's an amazing Bible character. 1 Samuel 14, verse number 7. I love this. You see, I told you that there was only two swords in Israel. King Saul had one and Jonathan had one. But Jonathan, he had this courageous spirit, this, this spirit that says, let's do something for God. And Jonathan wants to take out a garrison of Philistines. And he had a sword, and he's gung-ho. And he's like, man, let's, let's, let's take these guys out. And so the Bible says that he looked at his armor bearer, and he said, hey, let's go take out a garrison of Philistines. And I love what his armor bearer says, verse, four, um, verse 7 of chapter 14. Here's what he says. So the armor bearer said to him, and this is powerful, do all that you have in mind. Go ahead. I'm with you, heart and soul. Where did Jonathan learn it? He learned it from his armor bearer who said, you're in the wilderness. You ain't going alone, bro. I'm right there with you. Hey, you're going to go and fight that thing? You're going to go deal with that situation? Hey, you're not going alone. I'm with you. Not just, oh, my heart. That would be one thing. You know how we do this? We, we're really good. Christians, we're great at that. All oh, my heart goes out to you. I need your money. I need some food. I need some of your time, not your heart. Oh, bless you, child. No, I don't need your blessings. Either you're here or you're not. And Christians, we're so good at these fake platitudes, are we not? Can we be real with each other? Can we be real? Because uh, non-Christians, people out there in the culture are like, you guys are goody two-shoes. You're all talk and no walk. And I'm saying you haven't been to Southridge because we're too much walk and not enough talk. Sometimes we need to tell people about how good what God is doing and what we're a part of. And so we are a church that doesn't just say, hey, my heart goes out to you. We're like, hey, my heart goes out to you. But in the meantime, I'm at Starbucks. What do you like? In the meantime, I'm at Del Taco. We don't have Del Taco. I'm at Chipotle. What do you like? You don't like Chipotle? Fine. I'll go somewhere in and out. Chick-fil-A. What do you want? That's what the church should do. None of these fake platitudes.
attitudes. Come on, stop it. Don't, don't do it with your neighbor. That's why they think Christianity is a joke. Let's not be like that. You see your neighbor going through something, and you see they've been gone for a couple days. Grab their trash can, put it in for them. It's, it's the little things that they, then they, the world looks at us and is like, wow, it's real for you. You see, Jonathan's armor bearer said, I'm with you heart and soul. And then he followed it up. And so the powerful thing is, is this unknown armor bearer, this impactful moment left an imprint on Jonathan. Wow. That Jonathan never forgot for the rest of his life. He said, that armor bearer did something for me. When I was all alone, there was one person who stood with me. And some of you, you are facing trials where you are the only Christian in your family. Everybody else is atheist or agnostic. You're the only one and you're standing. You're just saying, God, this is so hard to stand for you. You might be the only Christian in your job. You might be the only Christian on your block. You might be the only Christian. And you're the only one trying to go to church, trying to live for God. And the holidays were hard because everybody was saying, hey, come on, let's go back to what we used to do. And you're saying, no, I'm trying to stand. And you just need somebody to show up in that wilderness and say, hey, you're going to make it. We're going to get through this. And I'm going to be standing by your side and I'm with you heart and soul throughout this. Because that's the lesson Jonathan learned. But then Jonathan, it's amazing because that happened in chapter 14. In chapter 18 of 1 Samuel, I love verse number one because the Bible says that Jonathan, for the very first time, he meets David. And the Bible says this, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. What's, we read two words. He loved him, that's the heart, the emotions, and his own soul. Jonathan's like, hey, somebody has shown me unconditional love and loyalty. I'm gonna show it to somebody else. And Jonathan stuck by David throughout his whole life. Here's the next thing, and I gotta get real. Family, we're real good at shooting our own. We are real good at talking trash about our own. We are real good about backstabbing our own. We are real good at doing these little things like, oh, they're not very spiritual. Oh, I can't believe they drank that. I saw them at the restaurant. Oh, did you see what they have on their phone? Oh, did you see what they were wearing? Oh, did you see what places they go? Did you see how much money they spend? We can do these things and we need to stop. And we need to say, I'm just with people. I'm for people. I love people. I want to see them grow. I want to see them become God's best. I'm with them heart and soul. And that's the revelation that David is now learning. Because David, mind you, his brothers had turned against him. His family had turned against him. He's alone. And in this moment, Jonathan's sticking by him. And so David is learning something he never saw modeled. And maybe you never saw it modeled, but you can still do it. You could say, Lord, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be different. I'm going to do something different. And now let's get real practical for a second as we close. I have four points, and church is supposed to be over in five minutes. If you're taking notes, would you write down a few words? And we're just going to go through this real quickly. Note takers are history makers, my friend. Number one, write the word connection. Because I want you to see the power in connection. There's power in connection. I don't know about you, but whenever I fly, and then as soon as we land, everybody on the airplane does two things, okay? The first thing 
now because I usually fly southwest. I'm usually in the back. I see the whole vantage point. We land, and as soon as you hear the little bing, everybody stands up. And I was like, hold on, man. You know it's going to be 30 minutes. You know, like, why are you standing up? Like, we in the back of the, of the plane. This is going to be 30 minutes. So just sit your blessed assurance down. Like, this is going to be a while, all right? And you're just, I don't know if you need to stretch, but everybody stands up. And I was like, okay, we stand up. God oh, bless them. I don't know what we're doing. You know, I have no idea, all right? Everybody stands up, and then they grab their phone, and they turn it off at airplane mode. That's the second thing everybody does. You know, your phone, when you take it off the airplane mode, it does something. It says searching in the upper right-hand corner. At least if you're an Apple user, which is what God's people use. All right? All right. Some of you, Samsung, Pixel, get saved after the service. It says searching. What's it searching for? Connection. Everybody in this room, your heart and your soul is doing what your phone does. It's searching for a connection. And sometimes we connect ourselves to a career. We connect ourselves to a car, to our finances. But I'm here to tell you, God wants you to be connected to him and to each other. And it's sad and our church is going to grow and get better at this, your phone is better connecting than you are. And I get it. You say, yeah, Micaiah, but you are an extrovert. Yeah, that that might be so. I like being around people. It's life-giving. To a point, sometimes we all hit our limit. Maybe you say, I'm just not extrovert. I just don't. But I want you to find those people because there's a power in the connection. There's a syndrome. It's called failure to thrive. It's why some people are sick, some people die. And this is a real syndrome. It happens with infants that are given up for adoption. They'll be delayed developmentally. They may not be able to talk. They may not be able to walk, even though everything is on the outside looks fine. But you and I, God made us and designed us for connection, to be loved, to be known, to be heard, to be valued. And when we don't get that, we fail to thrive. And there are people that come to Southridge that fail to thrive, and it's because they don't understand connection. And you may see Life Group Sunday as, ah, I don't need it. And I get it. I totally get it. You're not going to meet. I, I'm going I'm to admit something to you guys, and this is embarrassing. I have read and watched all of the Anna Green Gables books and movies, okay? I, I am embarrassed, but I was bored and I was homeschooled, okay? So there's, a, there's reasons behind my dysfunction, okay? All right? So, but the, the thing I remember most about Anne of Green Gables, and some of you are Googling, Anne of Green Gables, what is that? It, it, read it and then you don't think less of me, okay? So um, Anne of Green Gables, in the first book, her whole goal is to find what she called a bosom buddy, She said, I'm just looking for that best friend. And that was the goal. And she found it. And I'm not going to overhype our small group and say, you know what? You're going to find your bosom buddy. And that's going to be weird if you say that. Like you're walking around with the clipboard. I'm looking for a bosom. Like, no, I don't want you to, you know, immediately you're going to get shunned. Okay. You're canceled. All right. That's all that's going to happen. We don't want that to happen to you. But we are looking for that. 
But the Bible says that Jonathan did something. It says he strengthened David's hand. The word strengthen, making strong, is the exact same word that God told Moses to tell Joshua. Multiple times in the book of Joshua, chapter number one, you see that God telling Joshua, be strong. It's the same word. You need somebody to tell you in the midst of your wilderness, be strong. Maybe they don't buy you lunch. Maybe they don't fix it, but they just say, hey, be strong in this season. This wilderness is not going to win. You see, that's the power of connection. Secondly, write this word down, community. That power is really only access in the presence of community. You need people that will speak into your life, and I know that's awkward. Jane and I, last year, we went to a conference in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, and we were sitting there at round tables, and then they had the MC come up on the stage, and he said, okay, I need everybody to stand up. So we all stood up, and we're all around these um, round tables. And then he said, what I need you to do is I need you to face the person, uh, turn and face the person behind you. And all of a sudden, even though I love people and I'm an extrovert, my greatest fear was about to be realized. And I'll, I'll, I'll let you know my fear. We turned, and they said, we are going to do a massage conga line. And immediately I was like, ah, I don't want to do this. And they said, take your hands and put them on the stranger in front of you. The stranger, a stranger. And Jane wasn't sitting with me, behind me. So I was like, what is this? This is weird. And I was like, I got to get out of this quick. So you may think I'm an extrovert, but I don't want no conga line massage, random people, you know. I've had two massages in my life. I just get weirded out, people just touching me. It took me a long time. We started this church. You heard it from me. I would say, hey, I'm not a hugger. I just, I wasn't. It took me a long time to get to be a hugger, all right? And so maybe that's what this feels like to you. You're just like, community, I'm going to ask you to break out of that. I'm going to challenge you to say, get over that. The Bible says this in Ecclesiastes 4. He says this, For if they shall fall, one will lift up his companion, but woe to him who is alone when he falls. God is wanting that you know community is there, so when you fall, there's somebody there to pick you up. And then the last word I want you to write down, sorry, two more words, compassion. You see, the greatest use of power is to empower others, and that's what Jonathan did. The greatest use of power is to empower others. And then what do we do with that power? The purpose of our power is for compassion. And that's what Jonathan did. He showed compassion. But here's the thing about compassion. And we're going to wrap it up with this. So can you stand just so you know I am going to wrap this up. I've said it four times. When you use your power to show someone compassion, you just created a deeper connection. Let me say it again. When you use your power, your time, treasure, talents, your presence, when you use that power to show someone compassion, they're not just like, oh, gee, thanks. They're like, I like that person more. I now have a stronger relationship with that person. Everything changes. 2013, Jane and I were traveling. We're, we're going anywhere and everywhere we can to raise money for the church. And we were broke because we were going to fund this church plant. And no salary. Our sending church had promised us $1,000 a month. That's all I knew was coming in. I had my mortgage, medical insurance, two kids, no car payments, thank God. But I was like, I, I don't know. And, and we were traveling to churches and conferences to raise money. 
and we were up in Yakima, Washington. Beautiful Yakima. I like to call it Yakima. That's what they should call it, Yakima. And we're in Yakima, I'm at this conference, and I knew two people at this conference. And I was just like, God, what am I doing? I got my family, we drove all the way up here. I, I was like, I have enough money to get us up here. I don't know how I'm getting back. And I'm way up in Yakima, Yakima. And then I saw a friend that I kind of barely knew and he introduced me to another friend and he said, where are you from? I said, I'm from California. My wife and I felt led to plant a church in San Jose, California. He said, oh, you're a church planner. I said, yeah. He said, where are you staying? I said, the best Western, because it's the best. And he said, did you pay for it? And I said, yes, sir, I paid for it. He said, no church planner in Yakima is gonna pay for his own hotel. And in that moment, it's a little thing, guys. It's a little thing. But in that moment, do you know what a big deal to have somebody say they wanted to take care of our hotel, the Best Western, 89 bucks a night, because I didn't have it. But I told him, I said, hey, it's fine. You know what we do. Oh, it's fine. No, 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 no. Really? You're like, yes, please, please. FRC. And he, he saw right through me. He's like, I'm not taking your no. And he's like, I'm following you to your hotel because I kept saying no. So I load the family. He says, I'm going to follow you. You're not letting me do this. I'm going to do this. And I was like, yes, please follow me. Drive slow. I drove so slow that day, church. I was so slow. I was like, please don't get lost. Kept my hazards on. Waving out the window. Follow me. Pulling the best Western. But I had already prepaid the bill because you get a little bit cheaper if you prepaid the bill. And I said, hey, man, look, I know you followed me, but I prepaid online. It's a little bit cheaper if I prepaid. And he said, yeah, just go stand over there. He went up to the Best Western. And he said, can you refund their bill? I'm going to pay for it. And he went up. A guy who did not know me, a guy that I had just met. I, when I say I just met, I just met him. And I'm in this wilderness with two kids trying to plant this church. I have no money, and I don't know what God's going to do. And we're up there in Yakima, and a stranger says, I'm going to take care of your hotel. And it might have been somebody who just said you won the lottery because that was the biggest thing that day. That God just shows up. And it wasn't this, we're going to fund the church plant, but it was enough that said, Micaiah, I'm going to strengthen your hands. God's going to give you just enough to stay strong. And maybe right now you say, I don't feel it right now. I don't know if God's going to strengthen me. That's great, Micaiah, that God did that for you. But what's God doing for me? And I got to give you the best part because I looked into the name Jonathan because maybe you feel like David. You feel all alone. Do you know what the name Jonathan actually means? It means God gave him. That meant to David that God said, I'm going to give you somebody. I'm going to give you Jonathan in that wilderness because the wilderness is not going to win. And I'm telling you that God is going to give somebody in your moment. Somebody's going to show up in that wilderness and it's not going to win. This is not the year that you go down. This is the, not the year where you throw in the towel. This is the year. It may not be easy. It may not be pretty, but this is not the year of divorce. This is not the year of bankruptcy. This is not the year of financial ruin. This is the year where you see God keep you in the game where you learn to deliver decade after decade after decade. And our church, 10 years later, and it's because of some guy in Yakima, Washington, who said, I'm paying for that hotel. He was my Jonathan. And this year in Life Groups, I want you to grab a clipboard and find two or three people and say, hey, look, 
my name's Bob, Will, Sally, uh, but you can call me Jonathan over the next eight, 10 weeks because that's what I'm gonna be for you the next 18, 10 weeks. I'm just gonna be a Jonathan and I'm just gonna show up and we're gonna talk, we're gonna study, we're gonna read God's word, we're gonna pray, we're gonna eat something and we're just gonna build each other. We're gonna iron, sharpen iron. Amen. We need to pray. And then we need to go find our Jonathan. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for your people. I thank you for the ministry. I thank you for what you're doing. Lord, I just pray for these people. I pray that you would bless them. God, if someone doesn't have a Jonathan, may you teach us to be a Jonathan who shows up in somebody's wilderness and says, this wilderness is not going to win. And so, Father, I thank you for a great church that we love connecting. We love community. And so I pray that you would help each and every one of us. Heads bowed and eyes closed. If you are here this morning, you feel overwhelmed by just the loneliness and the isolation. Can I pray for you this morning? Is anybody like that? You just say, I need prayer. I see that hand. Yes, amen. I see it. I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. Yes, amen. I see those hands. Hey, worship team, I'm going to call an audible. Can, can we get somebody on a guitar up here and lead one song, please? If you need prayer, I'm going to invite you to the front and I'm just going to pray over you. So we don't do this enough, but if you need prayer and you're just overwhelmed by the wilderness, I'm just going to invite you to slip out. And just right now, I just want to pray with you and pray for you. I'm going to invite my wife to help me with this. And if you need prayer, we're just going to lay hands. We're just going to pray. And if, if, if you feel like you just need help, I, it may sound weird, but I've got some oil. And I just, I don't mind just asking God to just bless. And I just want to pray over you.
wilderness, Lord, we can connect to you. Even when we feel isolated and alone, that that's not your plan for us. You said from the very beginning, it's not good that man should be alone. And so, Father, for the people that feel alone this morning, may that change today. May they know your presence, but then may they also know the presence of a Jonathan. And that Jonathan may not look like they expected. That Jonathan could be a stranger. That Jonathan could be a church member. That Jonathan could be a child. It could be a coworker. It could be a text message or an email. But may they find that connection. And may that connection remind them of the connection you want with each and every one of us. We thank you. In Jesus' name I pray and all God's people said, amen. Thank you. 
I know we went a little bit long, but let me just repeat one more time. If you'd like to lead a life group, you'd like to be a part of it, grab a clipboard, find two or three, five, six people, and say, let's study God's word, let's pray, let's meet regularly, let's encourage each other. And if you need some help getting connected, man, I would love to be a part of that. Or you could join us for growth tracks right after church. But God bless you. You are dismissed. Go get in community, find some friends, and find that fuel that you need. In Jesus' name, amen. You're dismissed. Thank you so much for listening to today's message. If this message inspired you and helped you, we would love for you to hit like, subscribe, or share it with someone today. Until next time, have a great day.